Chapter 5 of Brown Book of the Hitler Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Brown Book of the Hitler Terror by Lord Marley. Chapter 5 Destruction of the Workers' Organizations. Now the hour of reckoning has come when we draw conclusions. Let them be under no illusion that this reckoning may come to some unexpected end. The end of the revolution is the end of the November criminals, the end of that system, the end of that period. We will hunt out these men from their last hiding places, and we will not rest until the body of our nation has been rid of the last traces of that poison. Hitler on May 7, 1933, at Kiel. Hitler expropriates. Hitler has not nationalized a single trust, nor has he expropriated a single financial magnate. But in the first few months of his rule, he has carried through the expropriation of the political and trade union working class organizations of Germany. All communist and social democratic newspapers were prohibited from the night of the burning of the Reichstag. During that week, the Karl Liebknecht House in Berlin, the former headquarters of the Communist Party, was expropriated under the Hitler government's emergency decree of February 1933. Then all the printing establishments and buildings owned by the Communist Party throughout Germany were expropriated, and the same procedure was applied to the Berlin evening paper Welt am Abend. The Attack on Trade Union Property Even before the burning of the Reichstag, systematic attacks on trade union buildings and people's houses all over Germany has been made by stormtroop detachments. On March 9th, in Chenitz, the business manager of the Social Democratic Printing Works, Landgraf, was shot by stormtroopers when they occupied the works. On the same date, workers armed with rifles and hand grenades defended the trade union house at Würzen against a stormtroop attack. In Braunschweig, Hans Seiler, the circulation manager of the Social Democratic paper Volksfreund, was shot by stormtroopers who occupied the offices of the paper. On the same date, there was a partial strike of the Dresden workers against the looting by Nazis of the people's houses in that town. On the same date, the trade union house in Berlin was looted. The following account of the attack on the trade union headquarters and the Otto Braun house in Königsberg has been given us by an eyewitness. The health section of the Trade Union Association was having its usual monthly meeting and social gathering. Nazi stormtroopers came into the building, and suddenly the doors of the room were torn open, and about sixty men, armed with revolvers, forced their way into the hall and fired a number of shots at the ceiling and the wall. Five people were wounded, one seriously, by bullets glancing off the walls. Then the bandits drove men and women out into the street without their hats and coats, which were confiscated. After that, the Nazis went through the trade union offices, destroying everything. 
in the case of the otto brown house two uniformed police officers came to the building at eleven twenty p m and took away the revolver which was in the possession of the night watchman they then told him that they would hold him as a hostage and that they would have to shoot him if any armed person was found in the house ten minutes later a strong storm troop detachment made its appearance and entered the building the caretaker of the building with his wife and two daughters lived there in a flat three nazis went to the flat and threatening the caretaker with the revolvers ordered him at once to open all the rooms in the building then the storm troopers began to smash up everything they first made for the office of the reichsbanner organization and chopped up every piece of furniture into tiny fragments using axes which they had brought with them valuable pictures were destroyed the cash box was broken open and every desk smashed the office was left simply a heap of rubbish the district office of the social democratic party was dealt with in the same way and also the office of the freethinkers organization then the business manager of the Königsberger Volkszeitung was fetched by three stormtroopers and forced to take them through the offices at the point of the revolver. He was then made to open the garages, which were let to private individuals and firms, and to put the motors there out of action. With the three revolvers pointing at him, he was forced to burn a black-red gold banner in the street. The Saarbrück Volkstimme of March 13th contains the following report of the occupation by Nazis of the offices of the Mine Workers Union in Bochum. The central offices for the Reich, which are also the headquarters of the Bochum Mine Workers Union, were attacked by Hitler's bandits belonging to the stormtroops and protective corps, and destroyed from top to bottom. All documents were set alight, the fire spreading to parts of the building, and the whole of the central executive, or those members who were there, including the president, Hussmann, a member of the Reichstag, were carried off by the stormtroopers and protective corpsmen. These few examples are only a small sample of what went on at the time in every part of Germany. The swastika flag was hoisted over every trade union building every people's house every newspaper office belonging either to the social democratic party or to the communist party moral provocation the burning of the reichstag was not enough in the way of acts of provocation for the national socialists who also resorted to moral provocation they called the karl liebknecht house horse vessel house and made it the headquarters of the political police Karl Liebknecht's name is known to the workers of the whole world. In defiance of martial law, Karl Liebknecht raised his voice against the slaughter of the war. Who was the National Socialist hero, Horstvessel? He was a student, the son of a Berlin clergyman. Even the Nazis cannot deny that this hero, who used to hunt Marxists at night with his stormtroops, lived on the earnings of a prostitute. He was killed in this prostitute's flat by one of her former lovers. The legend writers of National Socialism say that Horstvessel only wanted to save this woman's soul. The National Socialist Press asserted, and this became the official legend, that Horstvessel had fallen at the hands of the communists. Organizations dissolved. 
there has not been and there is not now any formal prohibition of the communist party in germany but the campaign of terror has in fact put all communist leaders and functionaries outside the law all organizations which were believed to stand on the basis of the class struggle were outlawed the trade union organizations of the revolutionary workers among the miners and the metal workers of berlin and the whole of the revolutionary trade union opposition were driven underground revolutionary workers organizations uniting all parties such as the anti-fascist league the red sports organizations the revolutionary associations of writers and artists of photographers etc were treated in the same way as the communist party from the moment of the reichstag fire the german red aid a working-class organization for the support of political prisoners and their families which helped all workers irrespective of their political affiliation was driven underground even aid for the victims of fascist barbarity has to be organized secretly the international workers relief which organized help for strikers during industrial disputes was also outlawed its property was confiscated and its officials and members were persecuted all the social and cultural organizations of the working class were suppressed the children's organizations the league for the protection of motherhood the association of social and political organizations all pacifist organizations met the same fate the league for human rights the german peace society and many others the elections of works councils which took place at the end of march were overshadowed by the campaign of repression of the workers organizations and could not give a true reflection of the feeling among the workers a report from the union engineering factory in dortmund is typical of how these elections were carried out in almost all german factories at the union works in dortmund the foreman dickmann whose duty it was to superintend the ballot was arrested on the day before the election the nazis took charge of the ballot papers and called on the workers to vote any workers who refused to vote was told that he would be regarded as an enemy of the national government the table at which the ballot papers were filled was surrounded by armed nazis each worker who came up to vote was listed and a note was kept of which ballot paper he placed in the envelope and handed in at the end of the ballot the leader of the nazis took charge of the ballot box and with his friends counted up the votes not a single worker of any other organization was allowed to check the result yet in spite of such methods the elections did not give the nazis a majority in most factories throughout germany what the nazis could not get by intimidation and falsification was therefore secured by them through the open use of force during the month of april the cleansing of the works councils by the removal of all elected trade union and revolutionary representatives even representatives of the christian unions who were known as anti-fascists were removed from office stormtroopers marched into the room where the works council was meeting maltreated and imprisoned some and forced them to resign under the threat of their lives appointed nazi works councillors 
were put in to correct the election results in every factory. Destruction of the Trade Unions The National Labor Day of May 1st, when hundreds of thousands of workers were driven to participate in the official demonstrations by the threat of instant dismissal, served as a preparatory step to the occupation of all trade union offices by the Nazis on May 2nd. The dissolution of the trade unions in the form in which they had hitherto existed was proclaimed in the name of a Committee for the Protection of German Labor, which no one heard of until that moment. It did not help the German General Trade Union Federation that it had called on the workers to participate in the Hitler demonstration of May 1st. The trade union offices were occupied and the trade union leaders maltreated. The German labor front took over the whole trade union apparatus. We give below a few documents showing the methods that were used in these attacks on the trade unions. The National Socialists take over the trade unions. The leaders arrested. Action throughout the Reich. Headlines in the Deutsche Allgemeine Zeitung, May 2, 1933. Yes, we have power, but we have not yet won the whole nation. We have not yet won you workers 100%. From the manifesto issued by Dr. Ley, May 2, 1932. Cleansing of the free trade unions and creation of a labor organization. Stormtroopers occupy all trade union buildings. Fifty trade union leaders arrested. The second stage of the National Socialist Revolution. Headlines in the Volkischer Beobachter, May 3, 1933. After Germany, in the most comprehensive meaning of the word, had acknowledged on May 1st the National Socialist conception of the idea of labor, on May 2nd the implications of this acknowledgement were applied throughout the movement, so-called free trade unions have been disloyal to their own real nature and have degenerated themselves and the trade union idea to the level of international Marxism. From Alfred Rosenberg's leading article in the Volkischer Beobachter, May 3, 1933. The National Socialist Factory Organization Journal, the Arbeitertum, which deals with the theory and practice of the National Socialist Factory Organization, becomes from today the official organ of the German General Trade Union Federation and of the AFA Federation. From the Lay Committee Manifesto, issued on May 2, 1933. The chapter of Marxist incitement of the workers is closed. After the action taken against the Marxist trade unions met with such tremendous response throughout the nation and particularly in the working class, the General Association of Christian Trade Unions, the Trade Union Association of German Employees, Workers and Officials Associations, Hirsch Dunker, the Federation of Employees, Trade Unions and other smaller associations under the influence of this mighty national movement found themselves compelled to declare in writing that they put themselves unconditionally at the disposal of the leader of the National Socialist German Labour Party and would carry out without reserve the instructions of the Action Committee for the Protection of German Labour, which he has appointed. From the manifesto issued by Dr. Ley on May 4, 1933.
innumerable cases of corruption among the leaders of the Marxist trade unions. Balance sheet mysteries and dark financial transactions, eight million organized workers brought under the leadership of Adolf Hitler. Headlines in the Volkischer Beobachter of May 1933. The first manifesto issued by Dr. Ley, the head of the Action Committee for the Protection of German Labor, was written in a very friendly tone. We have never destroyed anything which had any kind of value for our nation, nor shall we in the future. This is a fundamental principle of National Socialism. This holds good particularly of the trade unions, which have been built up out of the pennies which the workers have earned with such bitter toil and starve themselves to give. No, workers, your institutions are sacred and inviolable to us National Socialists. I myself am the son of a poor peasant, and I know poverty. I myself was for seven years in one of the largest factories in Germany. It may be remarked in passing that Dr. Ley was never a worker, but in his seven years of employment with the IG Farbend Industry AG, the Chemical Trust, was a highly paid official of the company and received a large sum when he left. At the moment when they took over the trade unions by force, the National Socialist leaders used the tactics of making a solemn promise to the organized workers that their institutions would be maintained. At the same time, the National Socialist press started a great campaign on the corruption in trade union offices, and the Nazi stormtroopers stood ready with their revolvers and rubber truncheons to persuade everyone of the friendship felt by the Nazis to the working class. A few weeks later, on June 10th, Dr. Ley issued his Fundamental Ideas on Corporate Organization and the German Labor Front, which he himself described as the foundation on which generations will be able to build anew for centuries. The essential paragraph in this so completely new foundation reads as follows. Leadership in the factory. Corporate organization will, as its first work, restore absolute leadership to the natural leader of a factory, that is, the employer, and will at the same time place full responsibility on him. Only the employer can decide. This passage, which proclaims the absolute dictatorship of the employer in the factory, contains not a trace of the sacredness and inviolability of the trade union organization. Henceforward, the trade unions are to be merely auxiliary instruments used by the state of fascist dictatorship. It is better that we should give it, Marxism, a last shot to finish it off, than that we should ever allow it to rise again. The Leiparts and the Grassmans may hypocritically declare their devotion to Hitler as much as they like, but it is better that they should be in prison. Thereby, we deprive the Marxist ruffians of their chief weapon, and of the last possibility of strengthening themselves afresh. The diabolical doctrine of Marxism must perish miserably on the battlefield of the National Socialist Revolution. From Dr. Ley's Manifesto of May 2nd, 1933. Corruption on Corruption 
one of the national socialist methods of fighting is to settle their opponents by bringing charges of corruption against them it was this method that they used to silence gimp the berlin fire brigade director who knew too much about the burning of the reichstag and this was the method they used to settle accounts with large numbers of the officials of the weimar republic and many leaders of bourgeois organizations which had not yet been brought into conformity and it was the method they used to revenge themselves on gareka who in nineteen thirty two had been head of the hindenburg election committee and therefore one of the chief opponents of hitler's candidature for the presidency when under dr ley's guidance the free trade unions had been brought into conformity the National Socialist leaders started their great campaign of exposing the corruption in the trade unions by way of rounding off their soon-forgotten promises of raising trade union benefits and lowering contributions. Long accounts were published in the fascist press of how luxuriously the central offices of the various trade unions were furnished. Columns in the press recounted the high salaries drawn by the trade union leaders. The National Socialist leaders, who had placed the trade union apparatus under the bureaucratic political control of fascist commissioners, tried to rouse the militant members of the trade unions against the bureaucracy of their former leaders and against their policy of industrial peace, and to exploit this to get support for the cleansing carried out by the fascists. The poverty of the workers and the refusal of strike pay to them in former economic struggles was contrasted in the fascist press with the comfortable lives led by the trade union leaders. The Volkischer Beobachter screamed in heavy type that the president of the AFA Federation, Alf Heuser, had arranged compensation for himself when he retired, amounting to 18 months' salary at 940 marks, a total of 16,920 marks. In addition to facts which savored of corruption, the National Socialist unmaskers produced cases of corruption which they simply invented. Any use of money which did not suit the policy of the Nazis was labeled as dishonest. It was unmasked that in the presidential election campaign, 300,000 marks of trade union money had been handed over by the General Trade Union Federation to the Social Democratic Party in aid of their campaign for Hindenburg. The Central Union of Employees had given 50,000 marks to the Reichsbanner organization in the spring of 1932, and two amounts of 15,000 marks to the Social Democratic Party funds in July and November of 1932. The revolutionary trade union opposition always opposed the use of trade union money for supporting the capitalist policy of the Social Democrats. But it is merely political trickery for the National Socialist leaders, who have themselves destroyed the workers' militant organizations, to oppose the use of trade union money for purposes which have nothing to do with the class struggle. Confiscation of the Social Democratic Party's Property The next step was the confiscation of all property 
belonging to the Social Democratic Party and the Reichsbanner. Berlin, May 10, 1933. An order has been issued for the confiscation of all the property of the Social Democratic Party and of its newspapers, as well as of the Reichsbanner and its press. The ground for confiscation is the great number of cases of dishonesty which have been discovered as a result of the taking over the trade unions and the labor banks by the National Socialist Factory Organization. In addition to the confiscation of the property of the Social Democratic Party, it must be stated that the property of all organizations connected with the party is also confiscated. Angriff, May 10, 1933. On the same date, all money belonging to the Social Democratic Party in post office accounts, party publishing concerns, and in the labor bank was confiscated. The offices of the Social Democratic organizations of the Reichsbanner and of the party press were closed. The official Preussische Pressendienst announced that Leipart, the trade union leader and Social Democratic member of the Reichstag, was to be prosecuted for breach of trust and fraud on the grounds that specific contributions of trade union money had been used for purposes other than those for which they had been provided. The same steps were taken against all organizations connected with the Social Democrats, the Workers' Gymnastic and Sports Federation, the German Free Thinkers League, the Workers' Welfare Association, etc. On May 11th, the Consumers' Cooperative Society was put into safe hands. In order to safeguard the immensely valuable property of the cooperative societies, which is undoubtedly in danger, in the view of the leader, the Reich Minister for Economics and other authorities concerned, it is necessary to put the Consumers' Cooperative Societies into safe hands with a view to their liquidation. It is desirable that the societies in the first instance should not be impeded in their operations. But it is expressly emphasized that, on the other hand, there should be no further extension of the societies. Dr. Ley, leader of the German Labor Front, has entrusted the director of the Labor Bank, Karl Muller, with the carrying through of the necessary measures. Volkischer Beobachter, May 12, 1933. Under the slogan of the fight against corruption, the property of the trade unions was then confiscated. Following the confiscation of the property of the Social Democratic Party and of the Reichsbanner organization, the corruption department of the Prussian Ministry of Justice has now confiscated the entire property of the trade unions. Dr. Ley, the leader of the German Labor Front, has assumed responsibility for carrying this step into effect. Volkischer Beobachter, May 13, 1933. On June 23, 1933, the Hitler government dissolved the Social Democratic Party in the form which has now become usual. The party was forbidden to undertake any political activity, and its representatives were turned out of all parliaments. Even the support given by the Social Democratic Party to Hitler's declarations on foreign policy on May 17th in the Reichstag and the efforts made by Loba, the new party leader, to secure toleration from the Hitler government by repudiating the section of the Social Democratic Party executive which had emigrated, proved to have been in vain. 
Expropriation of Communist Property On May 27, 1933, after every piece of property of the Communist Party and of the press and organizations associated with the party had been confiscated for some months, the following Act on the Confiscation of Communist Property was published. Section 1. Subsection 1. The supreme authorities of the federal states, or officials authorized by them, may confiscate for the benefit of the state any property and rights of the Communist Party of Germany and of its auxiliary and substitute organizations, as well as property and rights which are used or destined to be used for the furtherance of Communist aims. Subsection 2. The Minister of the Interior of the Reich may requisition the supreme authorities of the federal states to take measures for the enforcement of subsection 1. Section 2. The provisions of section 1 do not apply to property, leased or put at the disposal of the Communist Party without transfer of ownership except when the leasor or supplier had in view the furtherance of Communist aims. Section 3. All existing rights relating to the property which is confiscated are cancelled. The confiscation of real estate does not, however, affect existing rights affecting the property. The authorities enforcing the confiscation may declare such rights cancelled where the value given in exchange for the rights was intended for the furtherance of communist aims. Section 4. In cases of hardship, Creditors having claims on the confiscated property may receive compensation from the proceeds of this property. Section 7 provides that no compensation shall be given, and Section 8 empowers Dr. Freck, Reich Minister of the Interior, to issue regulations for the enforcement of the Act. The Welt am Abend a militant working-class paper with a big circulation in Berlin, was confiscated among the other property of the Communist Party, or of what were alleged to be Communist organizations. When it became clear that the official National Socialist newspapers were not penetrating working-class circles, the Gables Ministry of Propaganda bethought itself of a new way of deceiving the workers. At the end of May, a new National Socialist journal began to appear with the same title and the same general makeup as the Welt am Abend. Its first few issues also followed the nature of the contents of the old paper. A so-called objective report on the Soviet Union was published, and in other ways an attempt was made to appeal to working-class readers. But within a very short time, the new paper found itself obliged to defend itself publicly against the exposure of its aims, which had been made in illegal leaflets circulating among the workers of Berlin. The Corporate Aims of the National Socialists The clearer it became that the National Socialist government could do nothing to overcome the economic difficulties facing Germany, but was in fact driving Germany forward to catastrophe, the more brutally the Nazis applied their dictatorial powers. They necessarily pushed forward towards the absorption of all power, 
towards the monopoly of all power in the hands of their own party and of its pseudo-workers' organizations. The Catholic Convention in Munich, at which the Vice-Chancellor von Papen was one of the official speakers, was dissolved by the police. Christian organizations were forbidden to undertake any activity other than religious. The growing rival force of the German nationalist factory and defense organizations was forcibly destroyed by the police. The few representatives of the Christian trade unions in the newly formed Great Convention of Labor, which formed the central organization of all the trade unions, which had been brought into conformity, were thrown out of the convention under a regulation issued by Dr. Ley on June 23rd, on the grounds that they were enemies of the national government. In his Fundamental Ideas on the Corporate Organization and the German Labor Front, which were published in the Volkischer Beobachter of June 8th through 10th of 1933, Dr. Ley sets forth in programmatic form the corporate aims of the National Socialists after the worker organizations have been destroyed. A. The workers are forbidden to fight for higher wages, because such a fight is only the expression of greed for money. Lay's actual words were, We know how the greed for profit can get control of men. We know how the greed for money dominates everyone. One man strives to get more wages, another strives for higher dividends. But just because we know this, we recognize with equal clarity that this beast within individual men should not be allowed to be nurtured by artificial organizations, but that it must be the task of a higher state leadership to set bounds to this human weakness, to restrain it, if necessary, to put brutal limits and barriers in its way. B. The leadership of the employer in the factory is to be restored without any limitation. Dr. Ley says, For this reason, corporate organization will, as its first work, restore absolute leadership to the natural leader of a factory, that is, the employer, and will at the same time place full responsibility on him. The works council of a factory is composed of workers, employees, and employers. Nevertheless, it will have only a consultative voice. Only the employer can decide. Many employers have for years had to call for the master in the house. Now they are once again to be the master in the house. C. The inflexible wages agreements of the past are to be smashed to pieces. Wages agreements must be as living and flexible as possible. D. The last illusion of independence is stripped from the former labor courts. Their place is taken by so-called corporate courts, composed of representatives of employers and selected fascists masquerading as representatives of workers and employees. The program put forward by Dr. Ley is not a private suggestion of his own, but a program worked out at Hitler's instructions on behalf of the party and the government. Its hostility to the workers and friendliness towards the employers is obvious. The corporate organization, which is supposed to be going to overcome the division of society into classes and the class struggle, is based at all points on the sharpening of the employer's class dictatorship. 
the appointment of twelve labor trustees with power to dictate working conditions in all areas of germany is to serve the same purpose the complete abolition of any rights possessed by the workers to a voice in determining their own conditions of life the occupation by nazis of all trade union posts and of all positions in the state and every form of organization paves the way for the establishment of a universal national socialist bureaucracy in the conditions existing under capitalism with the forcible abolition of all control from below this monopoly must necessarily be the source of the worst forms of corruption but each day that passes shows that all the mania for destruction the arbitrary measures and murder lust of the national socialist leaders is powerless to destroy the militant movement of the German working class. End of chapter 5